You're listening to the Behind Every Employer Podcast with your hosts Anson Green and Jeffrey Abramowitz. On the Behind Every Employer Podcast, we sit down with future-focused employers and innovators who are advancing talent development for the frontline workforce that drives business. These leaders are challenging the status quo of education and training and delivering scalable solutions. Discussions cross the intersections of adult education, digital resiliency, training innovations, and other topics important to the new American workforce. This podcast is being brought to you by the Coalition on Adult Basic Education and sponsored by NGEN, a carefree-focused virtual English language platform for organizations and employers working with immigrants and refugees. Listen to the Behind Every Employer podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, YouTube, and you can find us at coag.org. And now, here are your hosts, Anson Green and Jeffrey Abramowitz. Hey, man, how are you? Doing great. How about yourself, Jeff? Good. I live for this, man. I live to catch up with you because <laughs> I, I don't get to see often enough in person, but it's the one thing I could count on is catching up with Anson on Behind Every Employer. How are you doing? Oh, uh, I'm doing so fantastic, and uh, we got a great show tonight. I'm really excited. We've got some uh, national class folks that are on a national class project uh, for the nation tonight, so it's going to be a really good one. What have you been up to, man? So traveling during July, this month, the uh, summer months kind of are slow, but I've been um, enjoying the summer a little bit and getting ready back into things. But, you know, looking at things like Digital Equity Act, getting people back to work, getting ready for school and people getting back into classes. There's tons of good things happening. And and uh, actually, uh, it's been um, it's been nice. It's been really enjoyable. And I'm I'm ready for uh, I'm ready for everything that's coming forward now because a lot happened over the next few months. So it's going to be good stuff. Well, fantastic. Well, um, I want to remind everybody to check out the website behindeveryemployer.org. And if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, it's on Apple, Spotify, Google, and YouTube. So you can uh, see us and you can hear us on a variety of platforms because we really want to get you in, uh, get us in your feeds, you know, so we can uh, stay in touch here. But uh, I've been, I've been so busy this summer um, with uh, work we're doing. I'm going to bring up, uh, I don't typically talk about Tyson Foods where I work, but I am tonight because we are spearheading some amazing work um, in the area of digital skills. Um, as you probably know, uh, in our uh, production plants across the U.S., we've got um, a large percentage of our workforce that are immigrants and refugees, many of them non-literate in English uh, and sometimes in their own language. And we have a strong desire to get them connected to the internet um, so they can do things at work and do things at home and order pizzas and do things that we all do online. So we started a program called um, Digital Advancement and Resiliency at Tyson or DART. And this is a digital literacy project uh, and curriculum that starts from the alphabet all the way to wow. building a complex password. So the goal is to build a password. And if anybody wants to know how long that takes in a curriculum, it's 229 pages and 30 YouTube videos of content on teaching how to make a capital letter on a keyboard, teaching the capital letters, you know, because so many of our team members don't know the Roman alphabet. So we've got a group of pilots across the nation and it's just been awesome to see this in action and see people logging in for the first time and accessing online services. So it's just got me fired up and it really helps us uh, frame uh, the, the guests we have tonight. So um, let me tell you about these guests. Um, you know, we've had this theme across the shows in when it comes to how are digital skills and digital impacting employers. And this is not something we prompted. It just is coming out because that's where employers are. And so um, we're going to continue that tonight with two trailblazing giants in the world of digital equity. So I'm really excited. We have Amanda Berkson Shilcock, who is a senior fellow at the National Skills Coalition. And this organization leads uh, kind of efforts in adult education and workforce policy at the national level. And their publications, their advocacy, their their work with the legislative side of things um, is just untouchable in terms of uh, the sharpness of points that it focuses on. And it's been, and Amanda has been spearheading this area of digital equity and digital skills for a few years now. Um, and her work is out there uh, in some great publications that she's either authored or co-authored, including one that just came out today, I noticed, called Expanding 
Digital Inclusion via the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law. So this, this publication and others can be found at nationalskillscoalition.org. And she is just a giant in this area of policy and advocacy. And tonight, she's joined by another giant, um, Anne Navelle Bonilla, who uh, comes to us uh, uh, with a, kind of a set of um, amazing experiences and skills in terms of uh, the deployment of digital into disconnected communities. So she's been recently serving as Chief Deputy Director of the California Office of Digital Innovation. She's a senior advisor at McKinsey and & Company. And uh, her work in digital expansion is as impactful as it is deep. Um, she has 20 years working at local, state, and national levels, directed the National Telecommunications and Infrastructure Administration's broadband initiative till 2015, and the list goes on and on. So we've got kind of this uh, uh, super team of folks on policy, deployment, and what's going on with the Digital Equity Act, which is um, kind of in the news and everywhere because it is going to really transform digital access for our disconnected community communities across the U.S. So, awesome. um, yeah, let's this get, is going to be a great to it. <laughs> Let's bring these folks on they and get the it. show running. Yes. There you go. Hello. Hey, Hello. good to see you guys. Hello. Welcome. Thanks for Welcome. having us. Yes. And we, we, remind me here, coming from uh, Philadelphia and California, right? Correct. So we, are, yeah. we, are, we are coast to coast tonight on digital skills. And uh, it's gonna, you know, it, it's it's mid afternoon for someone, and, and, and getting to be a past dinner time uh, for the other. And then I'm in the middle here in San Antonio, Texas. So we're gonna begin this discussion on digital. Um, it's been uh, uh, just everywhere I go now. I feel like uh, in the last 12 to 18 months, the world of like skill development for immigrants and refugees and other communities has just transformed because of national efforts on education and labor side, on uh, the digital side, uh, infrastructure act side, everything is hitting at once. Uh, now, some of us might say it's 20 years too late, but man, thank God it's here because um, we are uh, kind of crossing this tipping point, I believe, where um, not having digital access becomes uh, just a, something that just is a huge detriment to uh, doing anything in life anymore. I mean, so much has gone digital. Just recently, um, everything seems to be closing uh, in on digital, and you just don't have access to paper-based documents and face-to-face -face documents. Um, businesses are closing up their face-to-face -face human resource services and putting everything online. Um, I just see it everywhere uh, in the employer community. So let's start here with Amanda, and uh, I want to start with some level setting. So uh, Amanda, uh, what can you tell us about how employers, workers, including adult learners, are experiencing digital skills issues right now? Thanks so much for that question, Anson, and thanks to you and Jeffrey for uh, inviting me to be part of today's conversation. I'm really pleased that CoAbe and Behind Every Employer are really putting some thoughtful attention to these issues because this is something that we're all seeing on the ground, right? And I want to rewind a moment in time and take us back to March of 2020, right? We all remember what it was like when COVID hit, and overnight, people had to dramatically ramp up their digital skills, right? We can all remember the grandparent phenomenon, right? Where grandparents who desperately wanted to stay in touch with their grandchildren during lockdown suddenly learned how to video chat or Zoom. Uh, we all remember some of the urgency for us in, uh, in our jobs, trying to figure out how to do that job in, in a world where we were suddenly, for many of us, remote and even for frontline workers, suddenly using technology in all kinds of different ways. Here at National Skills Coalition, we've actually done research, um, both qualitative research, interviewing more than 45 business owners and uh, adult educators and others, and quantitative research, looking at data around thousands of individuals who were screened for digital skills, as well as the demand for digital skills in job postings publicly. And what we found is that while digital skills were growing even before the pandemic, the pandemic enormously accelerated things. More than 10 years of planned technological updates were compressed into about one year. And so whether you were a transportation distribution logistics company, maybe you were a small third party company that handled a, a section of port logistics at a big port, 
Um, and you've been doing electronic uh, paper delivery manifests before the pandemic. Suddenly overnight, you had to switch to electronic delivery orders, right? Maybe you were a home health aid company where your home health aides had filled out paper timesheets. And then suddenly pandemic hits. And not only are your home health aides needing to help their patients access uh, a portal using an iPad, but they're having to report their own hours, you know, using a mobile app. Um, we've heard story after story of this in almost every occupation and industry you can think of. In fact, the latest one that I heard was just about how wildland firefighters are using digital technology on the job. Mm. I would have thought firefighting in, you know, woodland areas was about as physical and non-digital a job as you could imagine. And it turns out I was wrong, right? Um, so it's really showing up many, many places. And so what that means uh, for businesses is really a race to try to make sure that their workers have the skills they need to avoid the kind of productivity gaps and hiccups that happen when workers don't have skills and for educators to really make sure that there's a tight feedback loop between what they're teaching in the classroom and what workers and learners are needing to use on the job. Because overwhelmingly what we hear from people is when we ask them, why are they enrolled in adult education? Why are they enrolled in, in training programs? They want to either get a job or get a better job. Um, and digital skills are an integral component of that in every industry and almost every occupation. Uh, fantastic. Great feedback. Totally, totally agree with everything you're saying there. And it, 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 this, this acceleration is amazing. You know, um, I, I'm amazed things that you never thought would happen. You know, I, I worked in state government for years and now like working from home is as a full option. You, they hire hmm. folks in state government that don't come to the Capitol, don't come to the Capitol complex, which, you know, when I was there two years ago would have been heresy, you know, like you hmm. had to come into the office. Um, you know, and I see it with employers, you know, forklift driver jobs now, you know, those forklifts have laptops on them and they, you know, use RFID to find boxes and, and uh, move stuff around uh, the plant floors and uh, automation, robotics, all these things are infusing the workplace. And, you know, I think the, the analysis that businesses are uh, woefully behind in doing is really determining what is the skill gap of of introducing this technology um, with a workforce that you're desperately trying to, to keep. Um, because, you know, you can easily uh, uh, just throw millions of dollars of equipment into uh, a new uh, facility uh, to, to, to do a service or do a product development. And, and all of a sudden, people can't use the technology and no one ever asked that question. I see this happening. So um, I, I love your response there. And I, I want to turn over to Anne and start to talk about like, you know, uh, a lot of our listeners are, are not as plugged into the funding side of things, what's happening in Congress, the infrastructure bill, how does that have anything to do with the digital? Um, so could you tell us a little bit about this Digital Equity Act, which is part of the infrastructure uh, bill and why it matters to our listeners. Yeah, thank you. And, and Anson and Jeffrey, thank you so much for, for having me on. It is, um, I feel like it's a little bit of a dream come true to have these conversations around digital equity and workforce development and employers, because for a very long time, there's been all of this complementary work going on in these spaces and everyone wasn't necessarily talking because there was not the, the, the structures weren't necessarily in place, the incentives weren't necessarily in place and everyone was too busy trying to do the work they were doing every day. And, you know, as, you know, as Amanda talked about, right, the, with now that national attention, there is more funding at the federal level for digital equity than there has ever been before. I mean, just orders of magnitude. And the Digital Equity Act was actually a standalone piece of legislation um, that advocates around the country um, have really been, you know, been pushing for for years. Um, right. And then it was it was basically wholesale put into the bipartisan infrastructure law. Wow. And and that was really exciting because it talked about 
Um, it talked about the eligible populations, which they call covered populations. It talks about the idea of digital literacy, of digital equity, and it really requires states who are going to get a big chunk of these funds to, uh, to work with stakeholders and to really document how they're working with stakeholders, right? right. And so there are three grant programs that come out of this Digital Equity Act. Two of them are formula, and one of them are one of them is going to be a competitive grant program. So it's starting with this planning grant. Every state in the country is eligible for uh, a planning grant, and it looks like all of them have applied, um, as well as a number of tribal nations have also applied for planning right. dollars. And that's really exciting too. Um, it's not a huge amount of money, it's 60 million total, but to be able to use this funding just to do planning. Oh, and yeah. one of the really, to me, one of the really, really cool parts, I sort of cheered when, it, when I saw it, was there is a requirement that the states actually, um, that they look at the goals they have for digital equity and that they incorporate them into their existing state economic and workforce development plans. Um, in addition, it requires that states talk with, as part of collaboration, workforce development programs and state labor agencies who, you know, who are doing adult education. And then in the um, funding guidance that the federal agency and TIA uh, put out who's doing this work, they also said, you know what, you should also really be talking to business owners and to state and local foundations and funders. So really trying to connect that the skills that you're trying to, that you're going to fund here are related to what's happening in your economy and the skills that people need to be able to thrive. Um, so that, you know, there's this planning process that's starting now. Um, states are going to be receiving funding. And then the states are going to receive a formula grant based on some different factors. And they're going to be making subgrants. Um, and those are going to be, in a lot of cases, businesses will be eligible for those. Workforce development organizations will be eligible for those. And then there's going to be a third set of funding that's going to be national competitive funding for all of these different kinds of digital equity uses. So it's really exciting. Um, and I'll, I'll add one more, which is a few states have even put their state broadband and digital equity office within their labor agency, which I can wow. tell you the last time we all, we had 50 state broadband offices in 2010, there wasn't, there were not any in, in the labor agency. So the idea that that's there now is really showing, I think a change and how people are starting to think and to think about how important it is that these that these two areas are really working together. This is exciting stuff. And, um, uh, you know, hearing all that, the one the one thing that gets me, you know, this is kind of my call to action to the listeners uh, uh, is, is if you're if you're not sure what we're talking about, if you haven't heard this, find out if you do know, tell people. Because I am bringing it up in every meeting I go to, and I'm running across more people than I would like that don't know what I'm talking about still. And, and of course, this is all so new. I mean, how many years have we been talking like this about these topics? Not many. I mean, you have, and you've been doing it your whole career. But in terms of like general discussions in, in education and workforce boards and labor, it's digital is not something that's just coming up, come up in the last, uh, uh, you know, decade or two, 20 years, you know. Um, and now it's sitting in our lap as an opportunity. And it's time to really get involved. And I love the explicit language in the legislation about really you know, making sure these partners were involved. Um, and, you know, uh, Amanda knows I, we were uh, talking quite a bit during the process of trying to get make sure the states are aware of this in like the adult education uh, uh, offices at the state level, the workforce board offices. Because, you know, if you don't have a convener uh, or a governor or someone that's going to bring this up, these things could get hidden in state bureaucracies. You know, it's very easy. I worked in state government for many years and um, big things happen and you just don't know about it. And it's it, it's something I did could not see happen here. So I think you guys have been doing such a great job of 
bringing that out in as many ways you can to different audiences, the libraries, the community-based organizations. I love to uh, hear uh, First Nations folks engaged. I mean, this is so, so critical. So Amanda, I'm going to turn it over to you. And before you answer my question, I want to make sure we underscore something here because, uh, Anne, you said it, but I, uh, I, I don't want folks to be confused. So say a little bit about what's different between the broadband work and the equity work, because we're not talking about broadband right now. We're talking about the equity piece. So talk about those uh, things, and then I'm going to ask your question, but a little sidebar on this for some clarification, please. Yeah, such a good distinction. So when we talk about digital inclusion, some people think about broadband access, some people think about digital devices, but there's also the ability to have the digital skills to use those, those tools effectively. And people need all of those things. I think of the broadband and the device as kind of the threshold issues, right? If you don't have those, you can't get across the threshold. But if you don't have skills, you can't make meaningful use of having that device and that broadband. And those skills include foundational skills, so being comfortable downloading an app to your phone, sending an email, being able to create a password or use two-factor authentication. But it also includes specialized skills that are kind of industry-specific, right? So again, maybe you're in the healthcare field, you gotta be able to use an electronic health record. Maybe you're a retail worker and you have to be able to use a price change app or an inventory control app. Right. And so people need opportunities to build both kinds of skills and educators and workforce leaders have been in the business of helping people develop those kinds of skills for a long time. The good news is our research shows that the kind of practices we use to help people build technical skills generally are also good for helping you build digital skills. And the really important thing is we want to help people build digital resilience, right? So you're not just memorizing how to use one app one time, but you're being able to stay open and curious so that if the app that your employer uses changes, right? I don't, my, my employer has gone through three separate apps just for payroll in the last, you know, five years, right? Um, and every time it's like, okay, I got to learn a new app for payroll. Um, and, and that's true for a lot of us, right? Like apps go away and they change. And so having the digital resilience to be able to adapt to changing technology is really, really important. Um, and so when we talk about digital equity, we're talking about making sure not just that people have a device, not just that they have broadband, which are critically, critically important things, but that they have meaningful skills to be able to use those to help them accomplish the goals that they have set for themselves, right? Which could be, I want to help my kids with homework. It could be, I want a better job. It could be, I need to access a telehealth appointment to keep my mental health in shape, whatever it is. We want them to be able to do that. Fantastic. Fantastic. So this is a good core foundation there. I wanted to make sure we were clear that I appreciate that uh, distinction. Let's see, let's get to the question though. So Anne really got me fired up thinking about uh, this funding and this the planning processes that are happening. So Amanda, talk to us a little bit about what should employers, adult educators, workforce leaders be doing now to make sure their their constituency and their voices are heard in this process? Well, I've been in the nonprofit field my whole life, so I'm going to say this is the show me the money moment, right? <laughs> so Anne talked about the fact that states are going to get this formula funding, which basically means every state will automatically get a chunk of money that's based in part on how big their population is. And then states will have the ability to regrant that money down to the local level. The state digital equity planning process is about creating the roadmap for how that money is going to be spent and what it's going to do to actually improve digital equity for Americans in all strata of our society. Anne mentioned earlier that the law has some covered populations. That includes rural residents, veterans, older Americans, people of color, low-income individuals, folks with limited literacy, folks who are English language learners, right? There's a list of these covered populations, and many of them are the folks who are working in frontline essential jobs across the country, employed by employers, large and small, and are sitting in adult education classrooms in many cases, right? Yep. So for yep. folks listening today, these are people that you are likely working with next to, um, alongside and, and serving in your programs if you're a program provider. So the, the federal legislation is very clear. 
We need to close equity gaps. We need to help people build digital skills. And this money is intended to help states do that. So states have a year. They have 12 months from September of 2022 to about September of 2023 to create their state digital equity plans. And so the most important thing for folks to be doing now is to reach out to your governor's office, find out which state agency is overseeing your state digital equity plan, and get on the phone to those folks to find out how you can be part of a listening session, a planning group, a work group, a task force, whatever it is that they're setting up to design this digital equity plan because you need to make your voice as a business owner, an employer, as an adult educator heard in the planning process so that that roadmap reflects the actual needs that you're seeing on the ground for digital skills in your community. I guess I got to stop you, Amanda, because I, I will tell you, we've been doing this show for a while. And I tell you, that is probably the wisest thing anyone has ever said on our podcast <laughs> for the simple reason that many of the people that we work with, and I work in a situation, I work with a lot of justice impacted, marginalized communities, and they're always saying, what can we do? What can we do? And if there's ever a time when, when you can do something, it's now. It's like before there's a plan set in stone that is may not make any sense to your community, you need your voice. You need to be there and wear those glasses that oftentimes our legislators and people that are in our, our capitals, they just don't see. I mean, they don't see the challenges that when you give them a, a laptop computer and you send it to you send it home, that's only half the game. It's access to it and getting getting connected, right? And uh, understanding that one laptop in a family of five when there's four kids on it doing homework may not necessarily be the answer. Like all those things that they need to see when we start yep. talking about digital access and digital equity. Um, so brilliant. And I love that concept. And um, I encourage everyone. And I've been talking about this as Anson has to uh, the, the people that we work with across the country. And there's one thing I'm curious about, too, is, um, you know, for the longest time, our Department of Labor and Department of Education um, have never really talked. Um, sometimes I don't know they know each other, but but they're beginning to talk and they're beginning to realize that that education is a key component to our labor market and understanding how we fill the skills and the gaps in the labor market. And digital equity is that piece in between that really um, could be this major bridge right now to helping people not only get jobs, but that career pathway, that pathway that leads them up to something above entry level where they're getting stuck because they don't have those skills. So the fact that this is part of the infrastructure bill, I think, was uh, is, is incredible and something that's not talked about enough. Um, but I, I'm curious, um, how do you see this playing out with educators and what role do you think um, educators should be having in um, in the, this whole discussion? Obviously, they are an important part in teaching, um, but th there's a whole there's a whole number of different pieces to that puzzle, I guess. Yeah, you're so right about that. Um, I want to emphasize something you said uh, because you caught something I missed earlier. You mentioned justice-involved individuals. And I want to emphasize the law does include currently incarcerated folks as a covered population. And that is crucial, right? Yeah. Because we know that the fact of being incarcerated can really um, cloister people away from the opportunity to build digital skills because of prison restrictions around equipment and access to the internet. And the fact that the law specifically called out folks who are currently incarcerated, I think is really, really important. So particularly for our listeners who might be working in correctional education programs, I want you to hear that. I want you to know um, that the law is already telling your states they have to pay attention to incarcerated folks, and this is a good time for you as an educator to make sure that actually happens. So, you know, Jeff, you asked about educators, and I think the take-home message here is what you do in your classroom is critically important for the individual people you're serving, and what you do to tell the story of what happens in your classroom is critically important for your entire community. And so folks can kind of switch back and forth between, you know, I, I jokingly call it the worm's eye view and the bird's eye view, right? They're both really important. You can't do this work just flying at 30,000 feet, but you also can't do it just at ground level. You have to be able to move between the two. And educators are really well positioned to do that. Oh, fantastic. Great insights uh, for sure. Now, Anson, I, I, can I yeah, add something to that? You there? betcha. Uh, one thing that just as, as you all have been talking over the last few minutes, 
Something that came to mind in terms of another, a real actionable piece that people can bring to the table is that state, the state folks who are working on those plans, they're going to be looking for data, right? So they're going to be looking for stories, but they're going to be looking for data and information. So for example, if you work with a justice impacted population and you've got data on programs and outcomes on even who the who and who those groups are broadly and giving everyone's going to be starting with for example census data everyone's going to be starting with data they might be able to find at some of their state agencies but these are really um this is new right and i know you know this is this is really new in this field to be to have this kind of specification around a plan. And so to the extent that data can be brought to the table, that is going to be so helpful. And also there's a little bit of, you know, whoever keeps knocking at the door with the information that's really useful, it makes it much easier to get it into the plan. Um, and so I really encourage that because I know states are going to be looking for it. And I know that there's a trove of data that people don't necessarily even know exists unless someone tells them it's there. Yep. Yeah, this this gets me uh, thinking uh, in positioning for the next question on state government. So, so uh, Anne, you and I are both refugees from the state government systems. <laughs> and uh, um, this question, you know, all this discussion about like getting public input from these communities and stuff uh, just fires me up and gets me excited. But then when I think of, doing this work in state government. Um, and uh, I was a state director with an $80 million budget. And, and my main concern was getting the money out the door. That was my main concern. And I know sometimes states, when they're forced with, faced with these timelines, and then the need for public input, one of those things is going to give. And it's not the timeline. And so I, that's why I, I, I sometimes wonder, because because you're trying to like get to communities that are hard to get to in a topic that's new. Uh, there's a lot of things positioned against state bureaucracies to really do that kind of uh, engagement. And so I think it's incumbent upon the grassroots, the, 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 the communities in these different constituent communities to, to force their input on states sometimes and say, here, we have this data. You mentioned the data. And state governments have all kinds of great data, but I don't know if they know how to put it together to make these stories come to life, you know, and then what, where are the gaps that they could pull from their communities? So my question to you, um, having worked in state government yourself, you know firsthand how challenging it can be to get funding out the door. Can you talk to some options states have for dispersing the formula money in 2023 and how your listeners or our listeners can prepare? So the first thing, I think there are... When all of those things resonate that you said about trying to get money out the door, right? It yeah. is, it's, it's challenging. And it often becomes even more challenging when you're talking about the source of the funds being federal yeah. dollars, right? Yeah. Um, we know that because of the checks and balances in the system, right? Folks are trying to decrease, you know, you, everyone wants to make sure the money is used well and everyone has the same goal. But that can be hard. If you're a small nonprofit organization, it can be hard if you are a small business because there are requirements in terms of reporting. Right. So I think there are two things I've been thinking about in terms of ways that states can make it easier to get dollars out the door is to look at existing grant programs, right? Many of the states have started doing inventories of what are the grant programs that already exist around the state that have that are sort of broadband digital equity related. Um, first, it's important to know that because how do you how do you plan if you don't know what's already going on, right? But right. it's also around are there things that can be tied into, right? Are there things where you could use an existing or somewhat modify an existing program um, so you're not starting from scratch? Or mm -hmm. if if you can't do it over at this other agency. Can you port some of that over into your agency? So you're not, again, you're not starting from scratch. 
Um, but I think there is, and, and that's exciting because a lot of right subject matter agencies, whether it's the labor agency, the department of education, whether it's your, you know, environmental agency, they're going to have relationships on the ground with smaller, with organizations around the state. And so that's important both for outreach and it's also important for potential grant making. Um, the other piece though, is to think about intermediaries, right? Um, there may be, there are plenty of groups where they're doing really great work, um, but the capacity and to, to do the sort of paperwork side of, of a federal, of being a federal subawardee is just not going to be as, as, um, inviting to them. And, and it can be, and it it could be really challenging. And so, you know, you want to do technical assistance, but you also, that's hard to do, right? It's hard to grow that capacity at the same time. But a lot of states have large foundations, um, community foundations. They may have, uh, you know, other groups that, that potentially those could be a sort of major subawardee who then either um, they may not be able to contract, they may not be able to subgrant, but they could contract out right to different nonprofits or small businesses to be able then to do to do the work. And then they end up getting to focus on the paperwork, the administration side, making sure right. that everything complies with the checks and balances. And so I think it's it's trying to think about from a you know a state side. What do we do to get the money out the door as, as you know, in, is, with all, with all due speed and also making sure it's really going to the groups, right? You want those yeah. dollars reinvested in, invested in the communities that are most impacted. And, you know, and so then what do you do? You do your grant program so that you're really making it. So you're both making it attractive and feasible. That, you know, it's such a great point because, you know, I was at um, three digital literacies and agencies, uh, Title II agencies in the last few days, and they're all smaller agencies that are doing amazing work, but just don't have the capacity of the infrastructure Mm -hmm. to really handle um, either a state or federal grant. And and some of them, um, you know, my concern is that those agencies that are really, um, I mean, they're walkable to all the people in the community and they're walking in in droves, they're coming to get these services. But this organization just may not have the capacity to handle a state or or the capacity to handle a state grant. And I'm wondering, um, you know, we do fiscal sponsorships all the time in corporations. Why not have a fiscal sponsor that's able to, to override and, and help them with that? Um, you know, and I think that would be a, a great thought for some of the plans right. to, to think about, like, how do you really get to those community driven organizations where this good work is really happening? I love that idea, kind of like digital digital equity consortia, where you've got you know somebody that's the lead that uh, has the has the uh, the bench strength for the federal reporting, the monitoring, all of that. Because you know, Anne is so right. I mean, these are not easy things to 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 implement, apply for, monitor, to be compliant with, uh, and that scares people off. The very people we need to bring in. Uh, I've been encouraged to see in uh, Texas, where I where I live, and, and this will resonate with Amanda. You know, our our our, our state agency for libraries is uh, very involved in this. So, so there's a mechanism with 582 libraries in Texas, um, but they're an aid state agency, so they get the interface and the compliance. But then they can get to Oatmeal Texas Library, you know, in the little towns out there, and bring a service that. Um, uh, the little library could never have, you know, mustered on its own. Uh, same with the adult ed community, I think, is, is a similarly situated where you've got a, a state uh, agency that uh, is connecting to sometimes smaller nonprofits and stuff, but could carry the load on that. So these are great, great things for people to be thinking about right now. I mean, this, the time is now to be getting in on that discussion um, because uh, this is a fast moving thing. Uh, and the planning piece, uh, 12 months is not a lot of time in state government to do planning for something like this. Um, uh, so uh, being at the table fast and early, I think, is definitely appropriate. Um, I'm going to move on to our next question here. So uh, we've been talking about the Digital Equity Act, but it's not the only new funding coming out to states. So um, this is getting more exciting as we move on here. So Amanda, tell us about the BEAD funding. I hear this term. I don't know what it stands for. What does it mean for employers and adult educators? 
Yeah. So BEAD is Broadband Equity Access and Deployment. Um, And as our friends at the Federal Commerce Department like to say, BEAD without equity would just be bad. Um, So so we want to see equity in there. So there's $2.75 billion in funding for the Digital Equity Act. There's $42 billion in funding for the BEAD program. Both of these are administered at the federal level through the U.S. Department of Commerce, through the National Telecommunications and Information Administration, or NTIA, which Anne mentioned earlier. And I think it's important to know that um, the agency in your state that's handling the digital equity plan may not be the agency that's handling the BEAD funding. Typically, the BEAD funding is going to go through your state broadband office. Some states have had a broadband office for a few years. Some states have had a broadband office for about five minutes. Um, and, and so they're hustling to kind of get up to speed. So that's the first thing to know, right? Um, for example, Idaho has put their state library in charge of the Digital Equity Act work, wow. but that agency is not overseeing the BEAD program. California similarly, right, has one agency in charge of digital equity, a different agency overseeing the BEAD program. The second thing to know is your state is obligated to spend um, a a significant portion of the bead money on just actually getting the physical infrastructure in place and getting broadband to people. But critically, the federal officials have been really clear in saying your state doesn't have to finish doing that part of the work before you can also spend a chunk of that money supporting bead workforce development. In other words, making sure that people have the training necessary to get those good infrastructure jobs, helping to actually lay this fiber and and get this infrastructure in place. So for adult educators who might be listening, you know, we often think about our programs as on-ramps into apprenticeship and job training programs, Right. right? People might participate in an integrated education and training program. They might be in a pre-apprenticeship program. And so thinking now about who your partners are um, locally and at the state level to put a coalition together to be able to talk to your state agency and say, hey, you don't have enough people because almost every state is facing a labor shortage here for these positions. You don't have enough people to lay all this fiber, to put all this broadband infrastructure in place. We have a pool of people who would love to get those jobs, who have in many cases not been able to access those jobs in the past, right? And we would love to create training programs that are meaningful on-ramps into those good jobs. Being part of those conversations at the state level now is really important. And I'm going to say one hopeful thing and one kind of complicated thing. So the hopeful thing is that Secretary Raimondo, who's the U.S. Secretary of Commerce, She comes out of having been governor of Rhode Island, and she is really uh, passionate about workforce development, which is unusual in a commerce secretary. Usually commerce is kind of more concerned with the business side of things and the sort of demand side rather than the supply side of workers, right? Um, So she's fully on board and has been really emphatic in saying to states, the federal government is going to hold you accountable, not only for making sure that there are workforce development components to this bead work, but to make sure that there's equitable access to those good jobs and those training programs so that women and people of color and people who've been traditionally shut out of good infrastructure jobs can have the same access to those that their fellow workers have always had. So that's the hopeful news. The complicated news, right, is that because this is getting run out of the Commerce Department, it's not necessarily getting run either at the federal or the state level by people who have any background in education or workforce development. Right. So there's some education that needs to happen by educators uh, to help our friends and partners at the state and federal level even understand what the possibilities are to help them say, okay, well, if you, what you need are broadband tower technicians and you have an apprenticeship program and your apprenticeship program requires that people score at X level on this test before they can get into the apprenticeship program. Let me talk to you about creating a pipeline into that apprenticeship program. Yeah, love it, love it, love it. Uh, can I add uh, a little bit more there? Yeah, and All right, because I've got some some good news and and some Bad news, depending on how much time everybody has, which is (laughs) 
one of one of the things is that the the bead program also requires a planning process. The good news is that that planning process is supposed to be fully integrated with the Digital Equity Act plan. Mm. And so even though there are different agencies in a number of states who are doing these and they've got different, um, you know, the bead is around how are you going to serve every, how are you going to get broadband to every unserved location in your state, every un and underserved? And the Digital Equity Act is more focused on how, as, as Amanda said, you know, how, how are we going to get people some baseline pieces and then how are they going to make meaning, meaningful use? That work has to be tied in together for the state. And in the BEAD plan, the states actually do need to, they are required to talk about how are they going to ensure that they have the workforce to be able to do the infrastructure building that needs to be done. And yep. so that's another place in terms of the very specifically here for these for, for jobs that are related to broadband. But again, to as Amanda said, being able to come in as subject matter experts who've been doing this so that that those folks doing the state plan, I mean, everyone I've, I've talked to is is ready to listen because that's you know you know i don't come from you know a a, a background on apprenticeships and pre-apprenticeship work and so when someone knows what that is i want to listen to them and i want to you know follow their their leadership and their guidance there and i think we're going to be seeing that in a lot of states um and then there is one more little bit of good news which is the bead you know as as amanda said it's over 42 billion dollars and in some states, it's possible that they are actually going to, um, they're going to be able to serve every unserved and underserved location and have wow. some funding left. Wow. And that funding <laughs> can great. be used for non-deployment purposes. Mm. Very similar, a basic, a lot of the digital equity purposes. And so that could bring even more money to the table in some states. And so that's another reason why it's so great. These two planning processes are integrated because they're going for employers and for educators. They're going to be really important places for them to feed in and to make sure that the voices of, you know, of all those communities are heard. Fantastic stuff. This is fantastic stuff. Uh, well, the hour goes quick on the show here. We're run, we're winding up to our last question. Then we will go to our lightning round. So uh, I want to ask one more question. This has been a lot on this planning and this development and local government development. Employers, when you're listening here, you need to be at the table in this because your workforce is the one that is going to benefit tremendously from having broadband access, from having the skills, uh, and it helps businesses innovate and do the things they want to do for industry 4.0 and all these things that are happening um, in, in uh, business. Uh, you got to have the workforce that can use that equipment and that stuff. So be involved. But my last question has to do with, uh, again, the equity plans. And so a number of local governments have already started this this process of writing their digital equity plans. What are the implications of this new level of process for local officials, employers, and adult educators? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked that, Anson, because we've been talking so much about state level um, work mm -hmm. here, but some local areas around the country are already leading the way. So places ah. like Long Beach, California, your hometown of San Antonio in Texas, yep. Yep. Uh, several communities across North Carolina, some of our friends out in Hawaii, um, and some folks in St. Paul, Minnesota are some of the leaders um, who have really been thinking about digital equity at the local level. So the, the, the local level is where implementation sort of the rubber hits the road. And so what, what is happening already at the local level absolutely needs to be fed up and be part of that state plan. But also you don't have to wait for your state to be able to start doing good things. Some right. states, some local areas have already spent CARES Act money or American Rescue Plan Act money to support um, digital equity work, more can be done in that area. Um, there's a lot of possibility. And I think that the two things I'd hope people would take away, one is we've thrown a lot of information at you here today. I'm happy to tell you that um, if you're the kind of person that likes to look at things in print too, 
Um, the National Skills Coalition has two publications on our website that might be useful for you. The first is our Digital Equity Act fact sheet. I call it our sort of 101 level overview. And yeah. the second is a set of policy recommendations that, as Anthony mentioned, just came out today. So if you just visit nationalskillscoalition.org and click on campaigns, you'll see the Digital Equity at Work campaign, and that has links to everything. So again, it's nationalskillscoalition.org. Click on campaigns, and you'll see the Digital Equity at Work campaign. Um, but really, the key at the local level is the same as the key at the state level. Take your expertise from having done the work on the ground Make sure the decision makers in your community are hearing it and make sure that the learners, the workers, the companies in your community are having a seat at the table so that the plans and the spending reflect your local priorities. Awesome. Well, this has been fantastic. I mean, uh, no one on this call here on this uh, on this podcast um, has ever had a moment in their career where uh, so much money, taking money off the table as a worry or a constraint is not there here. We are sitting in the catbird seat for an opportunity. And uh, I'm so thrilled we have such great leaders as you guys uh, uh, calling the shots and helping and guiding and building capacity and bringing awareness. I mean, I think that is the, 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 the thing that I'm just continually worried about because it's moving so fast and this is such a new topic. Uh, we're going to go to our lightning round, but I gotta, I'm going to give you guys some homework to think of before we come back. So I want you to tell us what are some good keyword searches that you would do? I've got some, if I was in a state and I didn't know where to go look for my people that have this money, the broadband office or something. So yeah. think of some Google keywords. I got the ones that I'm using and I'll tell everybody, but uh, tell us when we come back to our lightning round. So Jeff, take us back and we're going to uh, bring a, a, char a call to action with our uh, presenters here today. There you go. We are back and Anson and Slope, one of my favorite parts of the show is our, our lightning round. So this is our call to action. This is a time we go around the horn. Everybody gets a chance to kind of jump in the pool and give us like what strikes you? What should what's that one thing you want people to know to really go out and act on? And um, I, I guess I want to start off tonight because I, I think you guys are going to go in a little bit different direction. But somebody mentioned and um, people nationally know I do a lot of work with justice impacted individuals and our correctional reentry education with the Department of Education. And um, I want my call to action to be for every correctional institution in our country, both jails and prisons alike, to recognize the importance of digital equity and um, and start recognizing the fact that, you know, we have a very captive audience with the men and women that are incarcerated in our prisons and jails. It's a time to start getting them smarter and giving them access to computers and um, digital classes and digital support so that when they walk out the door of those facilities, they're a little bit better prepared for what they're about to face in our digital world. So um, that's my call to action. And um, I'll pass it off. Who wants to go next? I'll, I'll go next because I, I want I want our our guest today to have plenty of time because we gave them two tasks. They got to come up with a keyword search and then a call to action here. So um, I have uh, two, maybe even three calls to action. So one of them is for our teachers out there in adult education that are working with adult learners. Um, really uh, start to think about how you can bring more and more discussions in class about digital uh, but know that while you may be teaching computer skills on a PC and uh, because that's what you have access to in a computer lab, that the application of digital for that individual in your classroom at work may be a tool, maybe a forklift with a computer monitor on it, maybe a robot that they're working next to. And so it's not necessarily the PC skill that's important, but it's the excitement and the adventure of using something digital, this resiliency that is so critical because uh, they, they may go home and not have a PC, but they're going to go to work and be faced with digital and you want them to embrace that and engage it because they're not scared anymore. So there's a broader application out there than just the PC world. For our adult ed programs out there, the administrators, 
start collecting some critical data at intake on your students' use of digital. Ask questions like, do your students use smartphones in their native language? Uh, do they have broadband access at home? Start collecting information that's a few questions more than what's required in federal law for your, your data performance. But I, those questions are so critical to understanding the real environment. And then for our employers, if you're listening out there and you're making investments in digital or you're transforming your uh, HR system online, always start to ask yourselves, do we know that the user can do this? Can they use this robot that we're going to put on a production line? Can they drive this forklift and use the PC that we put in the middle of it? Can they log in and get their paste uh, uh, at, online if we're going to not send it to their house anymore? So employers need to be thinking about that because they don't think about these things sometimes because this is not their world. Um, but these are the kind of impacts I see happening out there. So I'm going to go to Amanda first. Keyword first and then your call to action. So what can I do to search for broadband in Hawaii? Well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to internetforall.gov. It's okay. the federal government website. And they are in a few weeks, uh, well, Let's, let's put it this way. By the end of September, they will publicly be listing every state office that is overseeing the digital equity plans. So internetforall.gov, um, official information direct from the U.S. government about all the funding streams we just talked about today, all the deadlines, all the information. Internetforall.gov. Perfect. Um, Perfect. And then my action item. My action item is think of your strongest relationship. Is it a funder? Is it a fellow teacher, is it the head of the Chamber of Commerce, whoever that person is, pick up the phone, call them, talk to them, say, hey, this money's coming to our community. How do we best position ourselves to make sure that we make good use of it? Because it's going to be so much faster and more efficient for you to take advantage of digital equity work based on a relationship you already have, rather than trying to get into a brand new relationship that you don't yet have. So start with your one strongest relationship, call that person up and strategize with them so that you can hit the ground running. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. And let's hear from you. All right. Well, I, in, internetforall.gov, <laughs> F-O-R, um, is the one place. It's actually very exciting because it's the first time on the federal side. It's not just the programs we've been talking about today. It's all the programs that are around yeah. broad br discounted broadband access, digital equity, infrastructure, everything in one place. If perchance the names of all of the state broadband leader, those offices are not there yet. When you go, if you Google broadband USA resources and states, you're going to find a map that will have every state broadband office in Great. the country. And that is also directly from the federal government, um, which is, I think, one thing I would is that um, there's so much information coming in. So at, just know that the that internet for all that gov site, right, the that is that's where all the all the deadlines are going to be. And it's important to use that as that that sort of single source. Um, and as a call to action, I would say, you know, we've talked so much about making sure that people, you know, the people who are listening to the show, the employers, the uh, the educators are talking with those broad with the um, on the planning process for digital equity. Please also invite the folks who are writing the plan from the state, mm. invite them to come to your class, to come to your to Love your it. business and to meet with the people you work with every day so you are not talking you know just for them that you are that they have the opportunity to to give their input directly as the people who will be most effective and because we all know there will be public meetings and things like that but those can be really hard for people to get to and so help make it easy for the folks who are writing those plans to come to to come to the people that you work with every day and mm. and talk and listen to them. Love it. 
Fantastic stuff. Well, this has been a fantastic show. Uh, you guys uh, are really making uh, a, a huge impact on something that is so fast moving and just going to be transformative for uh, the world that we live in, in terms of our uh, lower skilled, our, our disconnected communities, um, uh, and, and really transforming um, what they can do at their with their lives at home, at school, and then, of course, at work in terms of the digital age. So I, I really appreciate y'all's insights tonight. And uh, Jeff, uh, any closing words from you? This has been such a great No, point. it's been a great discussion. Again, we're hoping that you'll check out the Behind Every Employer podcast, subscribe to us, like us, get it out there, share it. Um, we know Amanda and Anne are going to get it out everywhere. We're going to make sure everybody knows about the Digital Equity Act. And thank you guys for being on the show tonight. All right. Thank, thank you. you. All right. We'll see you soon. You've been listening to the Behind Every Employer podcast with your hosts, Anson Green and Jeffrey Abramowitz. This podcast has been brought to you by the Coalition on Adult Basic Education and NGEN, a career-focused virtual English language platform for organizations and employers working with immigrants and refugees. Listen to the Behind Every Employer podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, YouTube, and you can find us at coab.org. If you'd like to reach Behind Every Employer podcast, you can do so at behindeveryemployer at coab.org.